My name is Ken, and this is the third episode of my podcast, A Nomad's Life. Recorded in a time when being a nomad was quite a difficult thing to do. <laughs> and I think it's a bit of a different episode in which I'm sharing my experience of the isolation uh, observations that I made and um, yeah, how I got through this time. And I promise that the next episode will be a bit more adventurous again. And I hope that in this episode you can still find something uh, in it for you or that maybe it just entertains you something. So welcome to my sharing about a time in isolation. Hi, and welcome back to A Nomad's Life, the third episode. Tonight with me in the fly in the room. I like the idea of uh, the sound theme changing in the different episodes. And tonight it's a fly. Maybe a good symbol for the virus thing that was all over the place. And it was quite annoying. <laughs> it was quite a cut into into my life as a as a nomad, as someone who wants to move around and meet people and explore and yeah, be in touch really. I came from Malaysia when everything just started to get wild and everything was shutting down. And I came to my hometown, which is probably the first reason growing up here is probably the first reason for me being on the move somehow, because I didn't find a place for me here in this village or this area. With the people around me, I didn't feel like I wanted to move on to live this kind of life that it seemed like I was inevitably moving towards if I would stay here to grow up and buy my first car on the credit that I would pay off for the three years of my apprenticeship and then to move on and get an apartment and find a wife and get a stable job Somehow I, I felt really early this isn't for me and there were only few people that I met in my in my early life that in, inspired me and made me feel like there is there is an alternative out there. There is another possibility of how to shape life. And these people inspired me to to start going and start looking. And the first step was going to a school that was about an hour away from when I was 16 to 18 in a proper city. And then I went to Australia when I was 18 and I came back and started working with a photographer who lived nearby but who was traveling all over the country photographing. And I went with him 
and started to work with him and started to get a bigger picture and started to perceive distances as something different like it wouldn't be a holiday to go to Berlin for one week once every few years maybe but it was just something a drive that you would just go and do in six hours because the next day you would be there to you would have to be there to work to photograph someone is expecting you there and so on and so on more traveling and then moving to Berlin and um, it's for another story but I mention it because it all started in this village the feeling of I I need to I need to find something else than what seems possible here and this very place is where I came back to after Malaysia and it's the place where I'm really lucky to have parents who welcome me here and there is a room and I don't like to own a lot of things but there was my archive and um, you know some clothes and, and stuff things from the past that I'm gradually trying to get rid of <laughs> I'd really like to own less things and every time I'm here I'm reminded of of that of that burden I feel of owning a lot of things and although I'm really thankful for having this opportunity to to come here and to have this safety net of there will be a roof over your head and there will be food on the table. This is amazing. Um, and of course it's not always easy with parents, but it's I'm getting along with my parents. But then when there was a pandemic going on and you're a 32 old who's going home to your parents and there's no like visible perspective of this is when it's going to end this is when i can move on this is when i can go on to being on the move uh, that was <laughs> that was a bit more difficult to be with this situation and be like okay cool i'm just going to live with my parents for the next maybe 3 months and maybe a year who knows so I got the idea to move into the house of my grandma who lives in a home for elderly people since not so long. So there was a house that is furnished and it's not being used and it's way too big for me. Um, but there was a room on on the attic on the top floor that was almost empty and it was small and cute and and I had this idea to maybe just move to this room and and live there instead so after some worries that my grandma had that she would whip the family apart because I was moving out from my parents to her house uh, she agreed to do it and like to let me move in there and so I did and since that day it was much easier also and I, I liked it also to come home to my parents and see them. And uh, yeah, say hi to them, talk to them. Because I was able to 
to say bye bye and go home again. Uh, other than when I'm living with them in in the same house. And my parents have always been a a great support for me in their very very different ways. And one of them is easier for me to relate to, but I can see that both of them really did whatever they could so that I could go and find what I need to find to live to feel that I'm living a fulfilled life and to find what my values are and what I what I want to do and how I want to I would say contribute to the good in my somehow little way yeah I'm very thankful for that opportunity and I can see how they how they had to fight for this you know I can see this from generation to generation how much my how the life of my grandparents looked and what they had to deal with and how that influenced their views on life and um how they lived it and what they shared with their kids and taught their kids and how that moved on and on and i think for everybody definitely for me parents are such a crazy mirror of yourself <laughs> at least i can notice this a lot how things that i do come from my parents may they be good things or things that i like about my personality or may they be things that i don't like about it that uh, i see how these things come from my parents from a combination of them i'm i really feel that i'm their combination and all the good and the bad and being with them closely makes me see those things and sadly often it's the the negative things that really you know <laughs> that are really present because they they start to get annoying really quickly but i always have to be honest and i, I like in finding seeing that whatever it is that annoys me about them i have some of this as well and i do this to other people i am annoying to them in this way that my mom is annoying to me and i'm being good to them in a way that my mom or my dad would be to others hmm they're a great teacher and <laughs> and these are really difficult lessons to learn so i was in my grandma's house but there was still no perspective really i would usually make my money with wedding photography and this happens in the spring a lot in the summer and in the fall and it just wasn't happening whatever wedding was planned was cancelled and all the people that would hire me um or the people that you know I was in contact with and there was there was perspective you know it, i was about to work i was about to um drive around the country and like go to go to weddings of um groups of people that i don't know and uh, i would be jumping around there and doing my thing and being in the tunnel and feeling useful also 
I think it's a lot about feeling your own value somehow. And in wedding photography, for me, that means to give people an honest and mostly beautiful uh, piece of work that reminds them of that day when they had such a trust in in life and in love that they that they would marry. But all that wasn't happening. No weddings, social distancing, um, and there was some support from from the state. And there again, I'm, I'm, I'm as much as it can be annoying to live in a state like Germany that is very. I don't know, very German. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't go into the Germanism now, but it's a very organized, well-running, capitalistic country with bureaucracy and lots of paper things. And it can be annoying. <laughs> For me, at least, it can be annoying to deal with all of this structure in which I am placed somehow as a, as a citizen. But that again was one of the moments when I when I realized uh, it may not be perfect, of course not. But you know, there's there's a state that says we'll help you. Maybe we cannot do enough, but you know, we'll we'll try to make steps. We'll try to somehow make the best out of it. But yeah, it's not something that I can really live off for. <laughs> you know, for next year. Uh, if there will be weddings again. It's now the beginning of July that I'm recording this, but uh, back then, just, you know, you, you didn't know how long it was going to take. And here, things are slowly going back to normal um, with some things like wearing masks and, yes, no, no you know, big football event, events or whatever, but, you know, things are going back to normal and I'm looking at other countries... I don't. I wouldn't want to live in the United States now or in Brazil, where people, you know, in power, just try to talk the thing small and just say, yeah, it's not, it's not an issue, or we are great at dealing with it, and people are making a tremendous job and great work, and yeah, there was a lot of listening to science here, I and I appreciate that, but it also. The coverage of all the virus thing happening, um, it was a bit difficult to watch for me sometimes. And because there was not so much, you know, life happening of going out and doing things and being with people and something, the temptation of, or you know, just the not being able to avoid getting information from this just... YouTube and things and people, everyone's talking about it. Or like the few people that you meet, it was just a constantly present topic. And some of the media coverage coverage was just very extreme. And in in both ways. And I oftentimes missed that that we're coming to a point in the middle where we can respect each other or be able to listen to each other. And that became very clear when a lot of conspiracy theories came up and people were protesting for their basic rights and 
Bill Gates came up as a as a name all the time who is um, having the world in his hand and very extreme things and it went to really strange things of conspiracy theories about uh, people hiding kids underground to I think drink their blood was the thing to keep them young sorry if I'm not getting this right but you know it just started to get really ridiculous and by the media that was that was that considered the mainstream or the known or the established media their reaction to this was oftentimes just laughing about it and making fun of it and yes it's it's kind of easy to make fun of this and it's probably clickbaiting and it's like draws attention nice i mean for the pockets of some people but does it does it really help the communication does it really help the understanding of everyone's position and in that case for example you don't need to be a conspiracy theorist to see the connection that the bill and melinda gates foundation um, and Gavi and the ID2020 program and the Rockefeller Foundation and so on. It's not a conspiracy theory that these connections exist. This is public knowledge and it's available um, publicly and, and it's, it's not a secret. And it's something that is maybe not going right or that should be paid attention to and and journalists should I think look at it and try to find out what are these connections and what are these people maybe doing and where is their power and who do these foundations and people who do they influence and I think it's a job that journalists should do but it because it's not really done so much these conspiracy theorists on the street just just took these little bits of information and just blew it blew it up to something and came up with obviously wrong informations and just just blowing everything up and that was the sad thing for me where i felt like if the media would would listen to what the conspiracy theorists are are saying and propaganda propagandizing and like looking at it and and really checking so what is in this story and maybe we can extract that and really put it out there and clearly separating it from all the extreme bullshit that was put on top of it but instead mostly they just laughed at these people and i think there were there were different uh, examples where i just felt like there was more of a dividing happening than necessary and I think if if there would have been more of a wish of of everybody to try and understand the other side and look at, like listen to their arguments and take them seriously um, and and checking them and maybe learning from it, that would have been beautiful. But that uh, <laughs> that didn't happen so well. I I had that impression. And again, in the United States, where everything <laughs> everything in the United States kind of feels like GTA, like playing GTA in a little bit, it's, it's just, everything is just too 
unbelievable. Like you would switch on the TV and just not believe that it's actually reality from another country. This is how ridiculous it just it just felt to me. Like watching a watching some kind of Truman show reality. Yeah. And and there much more dividing was happening and the president in the middle of it really driving that forward, that separation of different like call it red and blue republicans and 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 democrats or gun owners and people that think they should have less guns and people of color and white people and so on and so on it seemed to me like the ability to listen to each other was just even less over there and it, it was just much more extreme everything and it can make me worry sometimes when I, I see that and it just sometimes seems too crazy to be true. And for me personally, the isolation was really difficult. So being alone in a place where I don't really have much of a life and being with an internet access that doesn't end. Like when I'm traveling, I just have my phone and it has 15 gigabytes for a month. That is quite a lot. And I can, you know, it's not like I could never watch a YouTube video. But it just, it prevents me from from getting into some YouTube hole of jumping from one thing to the other. And at some point not really knowing anymore why I'm even watching this. And it's helping me. It's difficult for me when... All this is available all the time on a screen and there is no like real life alternative happening for me outside somehow. Uh, this is a difficult situation and it's difficult for me to to pull myself back and not switch on the internet and do something useless on it. So feeling the lack of, of purpose because I don't didn't have work and and not really having much of a social life and just being there kind of waiting for some kind of light to appear at the end of a tunnel some kind of perspective that's like okay this can be a, a next step and and then you can go there and you can do that and things are going to unfold and there was none of that so too much time wasting on the internet really and Last fall, I <laughs> I'm a bit embarrassed to say it. Even I bought a PlayStation, PlayStation Four, last fall, uh, with a little transportable beamer, and it was because I, because I love I love playing, I love playing. Okay, I love playing board games, um, or I love playing some kind of sport. Um, especially some kind of competition game. Uh, when I was when I was younger, I played um, I played on the computer like Counter Strike, Age of Empires, uh, especially Age of Empires, like a strategic game. Uh, I really love that. And sometimes I just felt like oh, I wanna I wanna play more. <laughs> I wanna play more. And 
I have a I have a weakness for motorsports. Something not very popular these days. Uh, not very sexy, I guess, to to say that. But I grew up in the time when Michael Schumacher was the the big guy in Formula One who just won everything. And I grew up about twenty five minutes away from the longest racetrack in in the world, um, the Nordschleife. And it something some of it is is still in there, and I have a fascination for for these teams who are all working together to to put this car on the road that is um, incredibly capable. I I had I was lucky to be able to to be in an actual in an actual Porsche race car, uh, going around the Nordschleife for two laps, uh, each of them about eight minutes long. And it's just incredible. It's it's not um, <laughs> it's not what driving a car is like, really. Anyways, um, that was part of that was part of why um, why I was I was curious about having a PlayStation. I wanted to to play a racing game. That was really the main motivation. And already last year in the fall. I, I found out and now it got even clearer that I'm not as able to, to let myself fall into this different gaming world anymore as I um as I used to when I was when I was a teenager pretty much. It doesn't catch me anymore so well and it seems like <laughs> it seems quite pointless at some point. Uh, with most games, there there are exceptions, but yeah, I, I don't know if I'm if I'm lacking the the ability to just live in a fantasy world, to k- kind of dream into it, or if it's just um, uh, if it's just maybe a, a normal and good part of growing up to say this is pointless. Why would I move pixels on a on a screen to like pretend that I'm, I'm driving a race car? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there was only one game that I was really, really fascinated by in the end, called The Last of Us. Uh, an absolute masterpiece, and everyone who owns a PlayStation definitely heard of it. And a, a game that just had such a good story, and it was so well played, and it kept you excited over the entire time. Something that most video games just lack that they have a really good creative team who really make everything feel like you are playing in a movie and you're really emotionally connected to the people that you're playing. Wow. But besides that, yeah, that was one of the things. Like It was another activity on the screen that pretty quickly felt like it's not really healthy, like it's not really making me feel good or um, I think it became an excuse also to not do something, to like try to find value, try to, you know, go for a walk or take the bike or whatever and just do the easy, easy thing of sitting down and picking up a controller. It's a bit, I feel a bit embarrassed to, to share all of this, but uh, yeah, I, I, but I gotta be honest. Or I want to be honest. I I didn't 
like I wasn't the best version of me in that time. <laughs> I was stressed like for nothing. I wasn't balanced. Yeah, I wasn't really, I think, spreading life feeling and spreading life energy and uh, and positivity as as I am able when I'm more when I'm more in a good state. But hey, I want to get to some good things now. I want to I want to say some good things that happened. For one, my book arrived. I worked with uh, Jona Kasper Beer of uh, Studio Other Types in Hamburg. I worked with him on this book that it has been like almost a year and a half now since the initial idea to the moment when I when I had it in my hands. And making this book was came from the wish of putting putting my work into some kind of form that is more than a website that is more than something that you know comes and goes quickly and is on a screen and like I wanted something that you that you or I would take in my hand and and like feel and that forces me to be slow with it because I need to turn a page rather than tapping on a screen to move on to another image. And I took that opportunity to write also, to integrate more text, which over the years I got more and more confident with doing that. And then finally, I think it was about 14 pages uh, of text. This book basically tells my my emotional journey from the point about one or two years before I left Berlin to to go out and move until about two years ago. So it reaches over a time span of about five years, I think. Yeah. And finally I had it. Finally I had it. And it came in a moment where I was in a dark place, like often in this time, and where I didn't see perspective and didn't see value in things, in myself, in what I'm doing, whatever. All of that stuff was just like everything was painted black. And and then this book came and at first I couldn't appreciate it for the beautiful result of one and a half years of, of work and of collaboration also, which was really beautiful for me to work with different people, with Yona in designing and the creation of the physical product and Michaela who edited the images with me and Vanessa who did proofreading with me of all the text and like she put a lot of love and care in it as well and and there it was and being a perfectionist um, I'm still seeing oh, maybe I, this could be different than this could but it is but it is a, a beautiful piece and I'm 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 very I'm very proud of it. Very proud of getting everything to together and getting myself together to say let's do this and let's do this good and work with other people and and make it final. And only six of those exist, and they were really expensive uh, per piece. And only when you print more, you can bring down the price. Uh, of course, I would love to to publish it somehow with a publishing house or with with self publishing if if I would have the the funds to do that 
But I guess it's difficult, eh? <laughs> yeah. Like all I do, it's it's not really made to become rich. <laughs> it's not really made for financial success and and just breaking even pretty much with a photo book is a, a mission. <laughs> yeah, I, I often I often get a bit desperate about this. And I had a lot of times here as well where I was desperate about my work not being valuable and I think I'm seeing the value myself. I, I think it's more desperation over not being able to find people who who like it enough to somehow help me sustain myself through it. Because for many, many years it's like it's everything I do. Every penny, every everything, everything all the time it goes into taking more photographs. This is all I do. And then I, I work for people with photography. In a way today that I, I really like. I uh, I like the wedding photography as long as it's it's not too much. Like I couldn't do twenty weddings in a year. That would I wouldn't be able to put my love in it anymore. But you know, having having some kind of ability to or having some kind of financial income. Let's just talk break even, like that would be amazing. <laughs> if if I could just pay all my films and cameras and like everything that I need to do it, if I could pay it through doing it, that would be a massive step. And then I could still photograph weddings to buy food and um Maybe be able to own a little house or something someday. But it's just not happening. Like it's not. Uh, or very little. Yeah, let's say very little. Or like it's a very slow process of finding recognition with the work and like in a in a financial way. As sad as that maybe sounds, but at some point I need money to buy films and to just do it itself. Um, and it would be amazing if if some of that came back somehow. However, just the the book itself, the product itself, I was I was really happy that that happened and and that it came out and that it came out beautiful. Yeah, and then other beautiful things that happened was was reconnecting with friends here in the area. One in particular is someone that I see every time that I'm here. That is beautiful to know there was at least one person here that I'm actually connecting to. But also other friends from my teenage years um, that I usually don't see so often. They were here a couple of times and after weeks of being isolated and basically only seeing my parents and going to the supermarket, it was just so beautiful to sit with like five old friends around a fire and listening to music from the late 90s and early 2000s and and just connect and just talk and it, you know, it doesn't even matter what, just, you know, just feeling that there are other people still in the not just somewhere in the world or somewhere behind you know that zoom skype thing or whatever no they're like there 
and maybe you don't go and hug them but you can hear their voices and everything is like 3D and there is another opinion and another story that someone tells and like every time especially in these in the in this small group that we met two times I think especially then I just felt so energized after this and I got to appreciate just human connection so much and that is not even on the level that like you know it is they they know me since I'm whatever 14 uh, some of them younger and that's like I don't need to pretend or anything with them but it's not like when I'm in an artist residency and everyone's like just doing their art and dancing and singing and whatever you know a place where I would f like feel very very much at home uh, it isn't that kind of connection but but just but just feeling this this um this togetherness and and friendship uh, it gave me a lot of it gave me a lot of energy and I finished my online workshop that was a big thing for me I got the idea last summer in Sweden at some point in the car and I just pulled over and uh, there was this fireplace near the road by a lake somewhere in north 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 Sweden uh, and I made a fire and I I started typing the concept for for this workshop because I love teaching photography or let's say the inspiration or being able to to give people another idea of what they could try and what they could do with their cam with their camera what they what they can explore I really really enjoy that in person mostly of course because I love you know I love <laughs> I love contact but the idea was appealing also to do an online workshop and maybe create um, a little passive income that I would invest a lot of work in and then once it's running it requires rather less work so last year I recorded most of the videos in November in in Berlin and then in Thailand I was editing a lot not as much as I would have wanted to but yeah and finally now I I I was able to to finish it and to overcome all of this oh it's not good enough and that is not right and I didn't say that correctly and maybe someone who knows photography really really well will look at this and be like ah you got this thing wrong like all of this <laughs> I was able to put it aside enough because I'm seeing also how many people are teaching that don't know shit so it's like okay Ken you know if they go out and do it and sell teaching DVDs and whatever you can also go and and make a workshop because you've done this for like what is it 15 years now more so finally finally I finished it I recorded a new introduction here because I wasn't happy with the first one and then meshed it up together and and then I watched the the trailer with my mom the final one the mashed up one where I was still giving myself space to speak but where I was also trying to match the demand on the internet 
of quick delivery of what you're trying to say. Do you know when someone scrolls through the Facebook feed or uh, on their Instagram, you need to stop them within split seconds or in a video within maybe 10 seconds. So eventually I had a mix of those that I was really happy with and I felt like, yes, this is authentic and maybe I'm not saying the perfect things, um, but it's good and it gets to the core of what I'm trying to do. And I I mashed it up with, with beautiful images from the workshop and for me working and, and I showed it to my mom <laughs> and she was crying. And I was crying as well. <laughs> I think we both saw how how just how how like authentic and true in me this video is, and that I was able to to actually put it in a format that's I don't know that I was proud of that I was like this looks really beautiful actually, and it's also communicating the right thing. And at the same time, I was. I was sad and I was afraid of of putting it out into the world and like saying here it is I'm Ken I've got something to teach uh, or I've got something to share and here you can go and do it I was afraid of that I was afraid of it not working and not being appreciated and, and accepted because I, I have a long history with this, with doing things or being a person that is not wild, widely accepted or understood or included. And that's painful to like, to hear that again and again, or to have someone make it clear to you in one way or another. Or in this way, it would be to have it communicated through people not joining it or not staying on it if they join. And eventually this is exactly what happened. And I really, I tried everything. I was really like, you know, I'm going to go through emails and like make an email list that I'm, I will send it to people. And, and I put it on, on Facebook and, the, and the, with a text and a link and I made a landing page on my website and... You could join it for free. It's on Skillshare. And if you don't have an account, you just go through my link and you, you can get Skillshare for three for two months. You can see the whole workshop. It felt to me like it was everything like was as easy as, as, as it could possibly be for people to, to jump the barrier and do it. You know, if they were interested. And I know it's a niche product. I know I know that I'm a person who is not doing something that is successful with the masses. But I was hoping to find that niche because over the years I found people in real life that really appreciate that. Not many, but I, I found these people. So I, I somehow I figured, you know, if I find them in my life, in my surroundings somewhere... There's got to be more of these people out there in the world. And with something that is online, you could somehow find and reach these people. And the response on the on this Facebook post mostly uh, was, was amazing. Like lots of people shared the video and some of them, 
especially Sasha. Oh my God. <laughs> he wrote such a beautiful text about like me and about how I work and how I teach and how it is to be around me. <laughs> and I was so flattered. I was like, wow. You know, someone just takes this video and is like, hey, I, I'll help him and share with it, share it with my friends and and I I will honestly write what I feel about this person and why you should go and do his workshop. I was really touched by by some of these things that I that I I read about me, and I was happy that that yeah people shared it and and said. It's beautiful that Ken does this and I want to share it with my friends. But here's when it kicked in. <laughs> here's when it when it when it somehow it punched me in the face. And I saw that even though so many people saw this video, like thousands. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people seeing me sitting there introducing my my workshop but yeah I, not many took the step and just you know clicked on the website and then said wow i can actually join this for free and not because it's free but you know because i, I think hey maybe i want to i think i want to learn something with ken uh, and it's even for free not a lot of people did that so it seems like I didn't find the niche or maybe the niche doesn't exist or maybe my workshop isn't so good after all. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know. But that really punched me in the face. And I was like, come on. Like this is, this is like months of work in this thing. And it's just not going anywhere. And then looking left and right on Skillshare with, on, with photography workshops that were released before, like short before or after mine, and how they were performing, it was frustrating. You know, I called my workshop Conscious Photography from the Heart, and it's about finding your way as a photographer. And then the workshops that have uh, uh, Instagram or phone photography or... Uh, portrait poses or stuff like that in their in their title they're just much more likely to be searched for and to be found and therefore the algorithm brings it up again and shows it to more people and then maybe they do staff pick on the workshop and then even more people come and but no one's looking for conscious photography from the heart <laughs> nobody's looking for that uh, yeah and I'm laughing about it now, but I I really had some some really fucking dark days with this, with just frustration about having another experience of of uh, seeing what I what I'm trying to share is is not really being received. Yeah, and while saying that, I'm I'm ignoring that so many people like wrote things about it and and shared it. But yeah, actually people who, who would do it, not so many. But I didn't give up. I didn't give up. I, I, uh, I had this plan, which then I did to do another two courses. 
like small ones that are a bit more uh, easy to access and that are a bit more likely to be found because of their titles, like what they're about. Uh, and I did those. Uh, someone was here, someone who bought a lens of mine. Uh, I sold stuff because I didn't make money, like I started to sell stuff. <laughs> uh, someone bought a lens and uh, he ended up then filming a workshop with me of how to develop your first film. That was really fun. Again, it was nice also to collaborate with someone. And then I did another one by myself about how to get started with film photography. And those are going to be coming out at some point. I don't know. Soonish, I think. But, yeah. I, I just continue trying. Like, I, I, I have a feel like... Um, I feel like, what, what can I do? Like, I, I don't want to... I don't want to make a course on how to make your Instagram photos better. I just, I just don't want to do it. I just, I think there is enough of it. And, like, we don't need more of it, you know? We don't need Ken doing the same thing. I don't want to do that. And I don't want to give up my passion as well for photography and for sharing. And I don't want to give up my my value system of wanting to do something that has some kind of value. Like I don't want to photograph fashion shows because I don't think it has a lot of value. Um, just as an example. So... So it seems like the, the only like I, the only other option is to continue trying to do good work and continue the part that is especially hard for me to to try to sell it, to advertise it, to speak about it, to do marketing about it. Gotta do what you gotta do. I also had a very beautiful day when the contact sheets of my films arrived. The films from Thailand. I sent them to Uli in Berlin, who is a man that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I have a I have a heart for him, and he does for me. I think he develops my films since some some years now, and he agreed to uh, have me send them to him, and then he kept the negatives safe for me and sent me the contact sheets, which is a about 20 by 30 uh, overview of what's on the film uh, positive and the images on this paper are as big as the actual negative which with medium format is pretty big um, 6 by 6 centimeters and that was one of the that was one of the early like the first moments of okay some something is happening like I got some support from from the state. I was able to to pay Uli to have them developed, and then I I saw what I've done, and I've I've got motivated again. It uh, gave me a little bit of a push, and I yeah started to to sell things. My studio equipment. I was never a big studio photographer, and now they've been lying around here for four years flashes, tripods, softboxes, stuff that I didn't need and that was just taking space and, and I don't like taking space. And they were worth money, <laughs> so so I, I sold them. And that, 
yeah, that all this started to make me feel like okay, things are starting to get going. I was able to we kept repair my car at some point. There was a a big thing that needed to be done, and they found an oil leak that needed to be done, and the feeling of having my car, which is kind of my home, like my house on wheels, to have that back and have it running. That was very important to me to. Ooh, to feel like I can, I can do things. I can reach places, and and uh, and then things started to develop. And the cooking week that was planned um, in Engsbaka, it was planned for June, and it couldn't happen, obviously. Uh, it was then like it was sparking again, and it was starting to take shape that we would do it from the middle of July and that put some some pressure like it was perspective it was some kind of light at the end of the tunnel of you're going to Sweden and you'll be photographing um, for the cookbook and and you'll be able to continue your portrait series as well I still don't have any work I (laughs) still no weddings happening and I uh, I don't know how it's going to go money-wise. I'm quite a professional with living with little money. But I, yeah, I, I'll have to come up with a new record this year because <laughs> it's going to be difficult. But somehow trust came back. Like, trust in this, okay, like it's, money is going to come and like things are... Things will open up. People will give you a call. I When I go to Berlin, I know some people who want to work with me. I need to call them. And then, and then things fall into place. And this is, this is what led me to today. I think it's been a long episode already. And it's been very like a very intense time with lots of things I could be talking about. But I guess, I guess it's a lot already. So now I'm I'm sitting in my parents' house. They left uh, this morning, and I'm I've been driving back and forth between here and my grandma's house, preparing to leave to go to Sweden. And and the last two weeks since I know I was gonna go, I got very active, got lots of the things done, because there was perspective and there was kind of a deadline and like. It, it gives me energy. It makes me makes me able to to do things and to yeah work towards something that was really helping me. And now my my car is packed, and tomorrow I'm gonna go to my grandma again. Since a few days, I can actually go into the home for elderly people and see her in like unlimited time and you know no mask and stuff corona is not present where i am at the moment it's like it's um in our area there haven't been any cases for many weeks so tomorrow i'm gonna go again and and spend some time with her she's really old it's never it's never sure if we will meet again and then i'm gonna go to berlin and like start life and I'm gonna meet people for wedding requests for next year 
which came in. I'm going to photograph for a friend of mine who, who is a lawyer and has a, a law firm and I'm, I'm working for her sometimes. I'm taking photos and uh, maybe another small job. I'm going to scan my images from Thailand. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited. And I, I did another recording for for this podcast um, maybe a month ago but i was i was pretty mu- i was pretty i wasn't deep in the hole but i wasn't i wasn't um doing very good and i didn't have perspective yet and i chose not to use it and instead um i'm now uh, yeah recording this with a bit more of an energy of of excitement for life and things and for Everything that happens when when you go out and say yes to life. Because I, yeah, because I'm able to. Luckily, the situation is, uh, is quite alright here. And for anyone who may be listening to this in a, in a place where, where maybe a situation is not so good yet, I, I wish you the best for getting through it. And for I hope you have others to somehow somehow share with you. And if you're in America, I hope you're gonna elect Alexandria Ocasio Cortez one day for your president. I'm gonna become an American citizen. <laughs> if she gets president, okay, check her out. If you don't know who this is, go and see her. Uh, supercut on YouTube. She's an amazing woman. Yala, yala, let's go. Bye bye. I guess I I hear you one day. You hear me someday. And yeah, if, um, if you wanna write an email or something, all my contacts are on my website. Hope you're doing well. Bye bye.
Gonna take her for a ride on a big jet plane Hey, hey Gonna hold you, gonna kiss you in my arms Gonna take you away from harm Gonna hold you, gonna kiss you in my arms Gonna take you away from harm I'm gonna take you for a ride on a big jet plane. I'm gonna take you for a ride on a big jet plane. I'm gonna take you for a ride on a big jet plane. I'm gonna take you for a ride on a big jet plane. In times of isolation, I asked my brother Pete, who is a musician, to record that piece for me, uh, Big Jet Plane by Angus and Julia Stone, because I really felt like singing it. And I recorded my voice separately and meshed it together in a very unprofessional way. <laughs> I sing a lot. I sing a lot. Um all the time, but I never really record it and put it out there somewhere. Uh, I hope you maybe liked it a little bit. Uh, however, if you want to listen to my brother's music who just released his new EP, you can find him, for example, on Spotify or on other um, streaming platforms and social media platforms. His name is Pete. That's P-I-E-T. B-U-S-L-A-Y But now finally, bye-bye. Have a good time.